0: Thank you for listening to sermon audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. I grew up in church. I grew up in a Christian home. I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I knew Bible stories. I could have told you David and Goliath. I could have told you about Samson, Abraham, Moses. I still remember when I was in junior high and came across the book of the Bible called Song of Solomon and how impactful that was to me as a junior high boy. (laughs) But I had no idea how it all fit together. So I thought the Bible was all these stories. You had a story of Moses and David and David killed a tall guy and all these things are great, but I had no idea how they all fit together. And I could have told you the story about a tree, a tree right over here in the garden of Eden. And there's an apple tree. I don't know why we always make it an apple tree. And when I tell the story, I always make it an orange tree just to, just to kind of throw a kink in there. This tree and this fruit and some people that were told not to eat it. I could tell you this story about this tree And I could walk way over here, and I could tell you the story about another tree. And that tree was the tree that Jesus was crucified upon. I could have told you both of those stories. But here's what I could not have told you. How do we get from this tree to this tree? What was so significant here that made us have to go here? How was this tree over here, the answer for what happened at this tree, I couldn't have told you. And so redemption through history, this series is to say, what's happened between the trees? Let's put the story together and let's see if we can take a big high level view, a 50,000 foot view of this, could we actually learn more about this God that wrote this story? And that's the vision of redemption through history, it'll take us all semester, I'm pumped about it. And we're going to start where every good story starts, in the beginning. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over heaven, the face of the waters. In Genesis 1, when I could do a whole four-week series on that verse. Genesis 1 lays the foundation, lays the foundation of what this whole story is gonna be about, and if you get anything today, here's what I want you to see those first four words, in the beginning, God. See, this story is not about us. The Bible is not God's love letter to you. The Bible is about God, and the story is about God, and everything starts with God. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't tell us where God came from. It just assumes he is, in the beginning, God. Now this Hebrew word for God, if you're taking notes, it it means some things here, that one of the things it means is the idea of strong and mighty. It's an expression of his power. This God that always was is here. And this God is going to do something. This strong and mighty God will do something. Now, also the word God in the original Hebrew has a plural connotation to it. Now, we can't read in the beginning word of the gods because that would get us way out of whack. But to order to, order to understand this verse, we have to understand that that word God is plural. Now, what do you mean it's plural? Here's what it means, that this God is actually three persons. We call it the Godhead. The Godhead is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so what we know is that from the very beginning, God was all three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. In verse two, we see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have God the Father, this Creator, God the Spirit who's hovering over the waters, and then John chapter one, Uh, He says this, all things were made through him, this is Jesus, and without him was not anything that was made, that Jesus was present in creation. In the beginning, God. This Godhead of three persons who's strong and mighty. And it says this, God's going to create things now. When he starts creating, he is not going to take existing material and kind of build something out of it. Like we wanna think they're a big uh, big ball of Play-Doh and then God just starts creating. No, he's going to make something out of nothing. And so this universe will be born out of the creative nature of God, verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on this first day. And so God began, this God, this mighty, powerful, three-person God begins, begins creating. And notice in verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. This powerful God doesn't form with his hands. This powerful God speaks and things happen. That the will of God occurs every time because God speaks and there's immediate response. Let there be light, light. That this place, this create, the creator, this creation is a place where God's will is always done. And over the next few verses, God starts speaking and creating. And to summarize, you know there's six days of creation. The first three, one, two, and three are forming days where he forms the creation. Days th- four, five, and six are filling days. So in the first three, he forms and the last three he fills, and it's even, it's, it, there's a rhythm to creation. As we, we won't read all these verses, but it'll say, and God said, let there be this, and it was there, and it was good. And God said, let there be animals, and they were there, and it was good, and there's a rhythm to creation. and Even the way it's laid out, so if you, if you put them in order, one, two, three, four, five, six, the first one, the filling, or the forming, ties in to the first day of the filling and the second one on the forming ties into the second of the filling and third and six. There's a rhythm to this creation. And God says, and it happens in verse 24, as God keeps creating, jump down to verse 24. And this God says, let us, you notice the us, the plural God, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So this God speaks and says, let us create man, in our image after our likeness. Now, this is huge. This is an important distinction because up until this point, God said, let there be, and there was, and he said it was good. And now he's going to create something else on this last day of creation. He's gonna set it apart and he's gonna say, let's not just create something, let's create something after our image. There's a distinction with humans. There's an attached value to this. Theologians, Theologians call it the Imago Dei that humans are created separate and different than the rest of creation because we've been made in the image of God. So you may love your dog, Fido, but all dogs don't go to heaven because humans are created as the top, the pinnacle of creation. Let us create man in our image humans have been made in the image of God. And this carries huge implications. We have a designed dignity. We have a designed value. Human life is different than any other life and its design is one of value and separation. And this applies to all sorts of issues. No one has the right to degrade human life because human life is created in the image of God and is set apart with value and distinction. And as gospel-believing Christians, we take very seriously the devalue of human life. It applies to all sorts of issues, race, abortion, euthanasia. To be a gospel-centered believer is to be someone that says we value human life. And last week, we talked about an issue of devaluing human life that's shown up in our society over the past week or two in America. And we spoke out against that devaluing of human life and we should speak out against that devaluing of human life. you know what I've seen this week in the news on Facebook? The same people, many Christians who speak out against that devaluing of life have this week taken the form of someone devaluing life. Like, what do you mean? Well, we speak out against one group he devalues life and we say things like, Those people are detestable, they're evil, they deserve to die, they deserve hell. We've just been guilty of the same thing. So we speak out against bigotry and we speak out against racial issues. We speak out against valuing one people but let us not do it and then devalue those people that we speak out against. See, the Imago Dei has incredible implications for our life that you and I are created in the image of God. And this God creates men and women and and he creates them equal in the image of God. He doesn't create man in the image of God and then, oh yeah, let me throw a woman in there. Men and women are created in the image of God, but they have distinct roles as created beings in the image of God. Eve was taken from Adam's side. She was not taken from his head as to rule over him. She was not taken from his foot as for him to rule over here over him, over her. They are equal. At Hill City, we hold to a complementary view of creation. It's on the screen. It's a theological view that men and women are designed by God to have different but complementary roles and responsibilities in marriage, family and church that we are image bearers together. Women at Hill City, we empower you to do anything in this church that a man would do except for one thing and that's be an elder because the New Testament lays that as a man's job in the church. Everything else in this church, women, you are empowered to do because we believe that God has gifted you just like he has gifted men. We have a complementary view of scripture where, we, where the church does not Empower women, the body suffers. Women of Hill City, you are empowered to lead, to shepherd, to teach, serve communion, because we believe in a complementary view of creation. So God uniquely creates men and women. They have distinct responsibilities, but he creates them in his image. They are now God's representatives of creation. Verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So God on the sixth day creates humans, this pinnacle of creation. They have this unique relationship with God and then they're created in his image. And man is dependent on God and man is accountable to God and he's given authority and rule and dominion. God says, look, you're over the rest of this. You have an authority. You're going to take care of this. You're going to rule over this earth. And he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Go fill, fill the earth with image bearers that the whole earth may point to its Creator." And everything God made points to him. It's perfect. See, the point of the story is not the creation. It's the creator. And all of the creation points to this creator and creation screams, it is good. He is good. And then God says, and once you see this, I have given, how many times do we see the word given there? I have given to you everything. All of this is a gift to you. Myself is a gift to you. I have given you everything. And God gives them one prohibition, one thing. He says, I've given you everything except there is one tree and of its fruit you shall not eat because if you eat of it, you will die. Chapter two, verse one, unless the heavens and the earth were finished and all... To them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Everything that God has created points to who he is this good, holy, loving, powerful God. It points to a magnificent creator. And we get this vision of God on the seventh day, just resting, not because he's tired, resting and just looking back and looking at the creation that he has made and saying, now that is very good. So if Genesis 1 and 2 are all about paradise, Genesis 3 is about paradise lost. Let's go to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So we have this character that enters in and this is a serpent which is Satan in the form of of this snake. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? If you're taking notes, circle that. Because you're going to see a scheme here that Satan's going to do, and he's been doing it for thousands of years since. Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Here's the problem God never said that. God said, I have given you everything except for one tree. Satan says, Did God actually say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? What? Why would God do that? God's trying to keep something from you. God is a taker. I mean, what's the problem about a little fruit? I mean, look at them. Did God actually say not to eat that? Yeah, God just wants to steal your fun. Verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees in the garden, so she calls him on it. But God said, you shall not eat of this tree that in the midst of the garden, neither, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So she calls, she, she, she beats his first trick. But the serpent said to the woman, no, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open." And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the first one, he he tries to put this doubt in her mind that God's trying to keep something from them, that God's trying to steal something that's good, and he's trying to take all of their freedom. And that didn't work, so here's his next try. You don't need God. You know why God said not to eat that? because he knows the powers in that tree and if you eat it, you'll be just like him. Eve, you can be your own God. And how many times have I bought in that same lie? So the Lord calls me to forgive, calls me to love my wife as as Christ loved the church. And my flesh says, Daniel, you can be your own God. You don't need to forgive her. She kind of deserves for you to treat her bad for a few days. You can be your own God. See, idolatry seeks to place a created thing in the place of God. And that's what Satan's trying to get her to do. See that tree? See that fruit? You can be just like God. Take a created thing and put it in the place of creation. And we do it every day. And all the pain and suffering and death and heartache and disease that man experiences can be traced back to a single moment right here because Eve takes the tree, takes the tree, she takes the fruit and she eats it and she gives it to Adam and they eat it. And at that moment, the earth is fractured. This this world that God's created, this world of harmony and rhythm and purpose where everything happens as God uh, intends it to be and where everything is good, now it's broken. And um, what am I trying to say? Yeah, that comes in they rebel against that rebellion. That's what I was trying to say. I almost said redemption. That wouldn't have made sense at all. Rebellion comes in and they say to God, hey, we don't need you. We can be our own God. At that moment, the earth is fractured. Romans 12 says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We can trace back any amount of pain, death, misery, brokenness in this world to this moment. Because before it, it was good, it was paradise. So Adam and Eve are created good, but because of this curse of sin, the sin now affects every part of them, including their natures, where they're created in God's image to do what God wants. Now this nature of sin comes over them And they're enslaved to their sinful cravings. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So before this moment, the world's perfect. Adam and Eve are naked without shame. They walk and talk with God without separation. And now for the first time ever, there's a separation into creation. Sin has taken this beautiful creation. It's been, there's been a bend to it now and there's a, broken, there's a broken relationship between God and man, and I want you to see what happens immediately. They knew they were naked, and they tried to cover themselves. So they went and got fig leaves and tried to make a covering, and ever since, man and women have been trying to cover their shame themselves. But the problem is, I don't know if you ever tried to make leaves out of fig, or clothes out of fig leaves. But our coverings are insufficient. And for the first time ever, these humans, that every time they saw God approaching, came with joy and acceptance and love. Now they go and they hide. They knew what they had done. They knew they had turned their back on God. They knew that something was broken. And because they knew who God was and his holiness, they were scared for their lives and they go to hide. And ever since, we've been hiding from God in our sin and our brokenness. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, And he clothed them. See, one of the things you're gonna see about as we do this redemption through history, that Jesus doesn't show up in the book of Matthew. That Jesus is in every single page. And Jesus is right here. See, Adam and Eve sinned. And their brokenness and their shame, they say, we must cover ourselves. And they chose fig leaves and their covering did not work. It was insufficient. But God said, I will make a sufficient covering for them. I will cover their sin. Now, what do they deserve? Death. We learn that the punishment for sin is death. And we learn that the payment for sin is blood. And did you catch what happened? For the first time ever, something died. The Lord God made garments of skins. An animal, we don't know what type, had to die. And blood had to be spilled for the first time ever to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. This merciful God that's created, this powerful God. But now we get another glimpse in the character of this God. He's merciful. So God goes to them. He Notice God seeks them out. They don't go running to God, hey God, uh, we messed up, can you, no, they go and hide. And apart from God going to seek them, they would have hid until they died. But God seeks them, and God is the one that's going to call them out of hiding. And God's going to say, look, I will make a covering for you. You don't have to hide in your sin and your shame and your brokenness. Yes, you sin, and there'll be consequences, but I will cover your sin. And he kills an animal, and that blood is shed, and he uses the skin of that animal to clothe Adam and Eve. Hill City Church, God invites you out of your hiding. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to play the the game that Adam and Eve played, and we skipped over it for time. But it's interesting, when Adam and Eve sinned, he's like, what have you done? And what's Adam do? Immediately, what's he do? Blames the woman. Hey, it it was her fault. And then what's Eve do? She blames Satan. Well, it's really the devil's fault. Like We don't have to play the blaming game anymore. If my husband would just whatever, then no, we don't have to play that game. If my kids would just, we don't have to play it because God invites us out of the blaming game. Hill City Church, God invites you to quit, quit trying to cover your own sin with church attendance. Quit trying to cover your own sin with good works. Quit trying to cover your own sin by punishing yourself and putting yourself in a spiritual timeout and saying, Daniel, you better sit around and think what you've done now. God invites you out of that pattern. Some of you are here hoping that your attendance today will somehow make God pleased because you know you screwed up your life really bad. God invites you out of that. Just like he invited Adam and Eve out of that. He invites you to take your fig leaves that you're trying to sew together to cover yourself up and say, throw them down and take on a more sufficient covering. God invites you to quit trying to impress Him. And then knowing ultimately that you never can impress Him, and then living in the shame and guilt of, well, I just suck. I'm a bad parent. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad follower of Jesus. I'm a bad friend. I can never be there for all. God invites you out of that. God invites you, Hill City, from living in shame. And if there's one thing that I A pattern I've seen as I've worked with people for years, and especially this year in Hill City Church, is the number one thing that holds Christians down is shame. Shame is an I am statement. I am dirty. I am unlovable. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I am blank. That is shame, and it is crippling Christians. Yeah, but hood, you don't know what I did this. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Guess what? I did it too. And so did everyone else in here because every single one of us this week at some point said, "You know what? I'll be my own god." No, thanks God. I know you've you've provided, you've given me rules and I but now I'll be my own. Every single one of us done that. None of our hands are clean. None of them. I heard a great quote this week and I'm going to steal it and after a month or two you're going to think that I came up with it and I'm really smart. Okay? I don't remember who said it, but I heard it this week. If the gospel is true, we have nothing to hide. And a bunch of us are hiding in our shame. And our fear is that sometimes someone will find out who the real us is, and we will let them down. They will, just, they will be disgusted over us. That is shame in its definition. If the gospel is true, you and I have nothing to hide. God invites us out of that and vulnerability becomes a beautiful thing because as I'm vulnerable and I let my wife see the real me, she can actually preach the gospel to me and accept me for the broken piece that I am and I get to see Jesus in that. God invites you out of hiding in your shame. God invites them out and he makes a covering for them. but there's consequences. God's perfect creation had this rhythm where everything pointed to who he was. This creation is now bent and it's fractured and there's gonna be consequences for that for generations and you and I feel them. We felt them this week. And God says, Adam and Eve, because you have sinned, although I've made a covering for your sin and although I have a plan, because you have sinned, you're now banished from the Garden of Eden, from my presence. And I like to think of Adam and Eve as these people who have a home that have been created for a home that they knew and now they're removed from that home and now they are sojourners. They're on a journey. And that journey is gonna take thousands and thousands of years, but that journey has a redemptive plan at the end of that journey. And jump down to Genesis 3, verse 15. We start to see this. So God tells Adam and Eve there's a curse on humans and he looks at the snake This deceiver, and here's what he says to the snake. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Know this woman that you've just tricked? I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. So this woman is going to have children, And many generations down, there's going to be someone from this offspring, a person, that's going to come. And here's what God says to the snake about this person. When this person comes, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here's what he says. This person's going to come and Satan, you're going to get him on the heel. but he will smash your face. That's the promise. And so our story begins. Of these people that are sent out on a journey, living the consequences of sin, but with a promise that one day someone will come that will smash Satan's face, that will fix this thing. Someone is coming. And every single story in the Bible that we're going to read points to that someone. So with our parents and our kids, we recommend a, a Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Many of our parents have this. I read it to my kids a 100 times. I love the intro to this Bible, and some of you have read this, because I think it helps us understand the context. I'll say up front, I'm gonna try to choke back tears. Every time I read this, I have visions of my daughters, two and three and four years old sitting in my lap, so it's a little emotional, sorry. Now, some people think a Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Well, the Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best, But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes. Showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't really heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of heroes or rules. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loved. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story Is It's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible. But all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. At the center of the story, there is a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. That piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. And God promised Adam and Eve, someone will come and he will crush the face of Satan and evil forever. And this rescuer would come and he would defeat sin and he would defeat death. And because he came, you and I now have access and we don't have to make our own covering. We sang my favorite song today. Upon a death I have not lived, or life I have not lived. Upon a death I did not die. Our faith is not built on us, it's built on Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus died the death. And now we're just invited in. So we're gonna receive communion now. We're going to remind ourselves that we, as broken, sinful people, are invited to the table. We bring nothing, and we receive everything. Like when you receive community, we don't ask you to bring something up and give it. We have nothing nothing to bring. We come as broken people who God has sent a covering to cover our sin, and we receive grace and love. Let's pray together. Jesus, may we see you as the hero. May we see you as the giver of all good things. And may we walk away from ourselves as God and the idols that we want to put in your place, and may we pursue you, our perfect Redeemer. May we quit hiding in shame and guilt. And may we accept your forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.